and this is in appreciation for all the good work that Mayan is doing. Um, thank you so much, and we appreciate this greatly. The CD this week was dedicated by uh, Rabbi Mordechai Katz, Morty Katz, and this is in honor of his father's upcoming yard site next week, Shushan Purim Katan. That is the day after. That's going to be actually Tuesday. No, Wednesday. Tuesday night, Wednesday. His name is Nachman ben Asher Hakoyim. And may this be to a great Elias Neshama for him. This is his second yard site. For a great Elias Neshama to the greatest of heights. And lots of bracha to the Katz family. To you, Mordechai, and to your wife, and to your children. For only mazel bracha and only, only good things. Thanks so much. Uh, tonight, we have a very special parsha. And there's a lot of things coming together, and I'd like to bring it all together. Tonight is um, Parshas Tetzaveh, and um, we also, it's the Parsha before Purim, not the big Purim, the small Purim. The small Purim, again, as we said before, is important, and it has a lot of the qualities of Purim to it. So uh, what's the connection of Parshas Tetzaveh to Purim? In addition to that, tonight is a super holy night, a very auspicious night. Because tonight is the seventh of Ador, Zion Ador. And it's the yard site of none other than Moshe Rabbeinu. Tonight is Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site. And um, we know that when we commemorate the yard site of Moshe Rabbeinu, it says in Shulchan Aruch that we commemorate it on the, first, on the first Ador, not on the second Ador. Those people who had a minog, there's a lot of Jews who had a minog to fast on Zion Ador. It's the first Ador, not the second Ador. So it's actually tonight, as we are speaking, um, to Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site. So we are dedicating the class to Moshe Rabbeinu because the entire subject of the class tonight is Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, very, very mysteriously, and to really, really gain an appreciation of who Moshe Rabbeinu is, because you know, to, to everybody, to all Jewish people, men, women, children, all across the board, Moshe Rabbeinu is a fantastic hero. Moshe is our superhero. Uh, but... To most people, before you learn Hasidus, Moshe Rabbeinu is a historical figure of great significance to the Jewish people, but he doesn't have much influence to me and to my life today. And what we need to understand tonight and what we're going to explore, how Moshe Rabbeinu is very, very much alive and our entire Yiddishkeit is dependent on our connection to Moshe Rabbeinu. As Moshe Rabbeinu infuses vitality, life into our soul, and he acts as a bridge between each and every one of us and Hashem to this very day. Of course, this is a mystical concept that requires us to get a little bit more into the esoteric and mystical side of things. If you look at things just from the most external superficial layer, there is a three and a half thousand year gap between us and Moshe Rabbeinu. But um, from a deeper perspective, we know Moshe Rabbeinu is very much here and now. That's interesting that Parshas Tetzaveh, which is always the week of Zion Adar, we also find a very interesting thing that is the only parsha in the Torah in which Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not mentioned from when Moshe was born. From Parsha Shemos, when Moshe Rabbeinu was born, until the end of the Torah, till the Parsha he's mentioned, his name is mentioned in every parsha, but he's not mentioned in Parsha Tetzaveh, which the commentaries say this is an indication that he passed away. Zion Adar is when we read Parsha Tetzaveh. Also has to do with Moshe Rabbeinu asking God to erase his name. And it was fulfilled in this parsha. 
But as the Hasidic masters explain, by Moshe Rabbeinu's absent name, not, his name not being here, that does not mean that Moshe is not here. It means that Moshe is only here that much more. Because Moshe is not here with his name, which is his external expression. Moshe Rabbeinu is here with his essence. Because if, there is, if you think about Parshas Tetzaveh, the very first word of the parsha is Moshe. Va'ata, and you, who's you, Moshe? Va'ata, and you. So what we have in this week's parsha is not Moshe's name, which is an illumination of Moshe. We don't have Moshe's light, but we have the you, the very you of Moshe, the very essence of Moshe. That is permeating the world, this, this parsha. Parsha's Tetzav. And precisely because we have the va'ata of Moshe, that's why it's so pertinent and relevant to each and every one of us. Because the name Moshe, which is an expression of Moshe, we can confine that to three and a half thousand years ago. That's Moshe Rabbeinu as he is expressing himself in his name. But the essence of Moshe cannot be confined to any time or place. Moshe Rabbeinu, the essence of Moshe, that's one with the essence of God, has no limitation of time and space, and therefore is very, very, very much present, active, and real in each and every one of us. So let's try to discover our connection to Moshe Rabbeinu on his yard site as we're standing right now talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. And the relationship to Parshas Tetzaveh and the connection to Purim, all three of them together. Okay, so the idea is as follows. Now many of the subjects or what we're going to touch about tonight, I spoke about two weeks ago in the Shir of Parshas Mishpatim. However, we're going to cross over, there's going to be some... Um, 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 uh, crossover between the, the class two weeks ago and this week's parsha. However, um, there is going to be a lot of news in tonight's class over what we learned and a lot of clarification on ideas that we learned two weeks ago. Whoever wants to listen to that cheer, if you didn't, to supplement tonight's class, um, almost like a part one of tonight's class, you can. But you can you can you can hear that after you hear this parsha's mishpatim, uh, the class that we had, and I think it was called um, The Faithful Shepherd. Uh, two weeks ago class, it's on the Parsha of My Life, it's on our website. In any case, um, let's just begin the Parsha and read the Pasuk and see what's problematic in the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, or what seems to be problematic, it's not problematic, but it seems to be problematic. The opening verse of this week's Parsha is, and you should command as B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people, they should take to you shaman zayezach, pure olive oil, kasis lamoer, crushed for lighting, lahalois ner tamid, to bring up a constant lamp. What does that mean? It's a commandment that God is telling Moshe that he should command the Jewish people, that being that we're holding a middle building, the Mishkan, so one of the things we're going to need in the, in the, um, in the worship, in the, uh, when we're going to officiate, we're going to serve in the Mishkan, the temple service, we're going to need to light the menorah. And the menorah's lighting is going to require olive oil. So Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, tell the Jewish people to bring that olive oil. They should bring pure olive oil. It has to be pressed. First, only the purest of oil. Okay, so here's the question. Just a few little diukim, little nuances, which open us up to recognize that there's something much deeper than what the eye sees when you're reading the Pasuk. First of all, the very opening verse is va'ata tetzave, and you should command, which is very different than all the other commandments. I mean, the Torah is constantly, it's filled with commandments that are communicated from Moshe to the Jewish people. 
Yet this is the only place where we have this unique phrase, and you should command. In what we're all familiar with, again and again and again and again, by Daber Hashem al Moshe Lemor, God spoke to Moshe saying, Daber el Bnei Yisrael, speak to the children of Israel. That's the common thing. Or Vamarta, Emor. This, this, this Lashen Va'ata Tetzave, we don't find it anywhere. Now there is similar, sometimes we find that Hashem says, Hashem speaks to Moshe and he tells him, Tzav es Bnei Yisrael. Command the people of Israel. And Rashi takes note. Whenever it says command, Rashi already tells us, that's showing you that there's something extremely intense. Tzav means command. It's much more than speak. There is saying. Saying is in a very soft note. Speaking is a little stronger. Speak to them. It's harsher. And tzav, command, means there's no monkey business. This is very serious. So that's the, usually the words, tzav, Rashi says, tzav, malosh, and ziruz, it's coming to make sure the job gets done. Rarely do we have a mitzvah that begins with tzav, command. But there are those mitzvahs. There is even a parsha coming up in Vayikra, in Leviticus, that also begins, it's called parsha tzav. However, the language titzaveh, we don't find anywhere. It could have said over here, v'ata tzaveh b'nei Yisrael. Why does the Ebishter, why does the commandment over here begin v'ata titzaveh, and you should command as b'nei Yisrael? Then what does it say? V'yikhu elacha, they should bring to you shem and Strange. Bring to Moshe olive oil. Why bring to Moshe olive oil? Moshe's, what is Moshe going to do with the oil? Moshe is not the one lighting the menorah. The Yikhu, they should bring El Aaron. Who's in charge of lighting the menorah? The priest, the high priest, Aaron. So it should say the Yikhu to Moshe's brother. Then it says, Kosis Lamaor. That what type of oil should they take? The one that is pressed for lighting. Now from the word Kosis, we learn out that it has to be very pure oil, which means that we take the olives and we put them in a press and we give them one press. And the first oil that comes out from the first squeeze, that's the oil that's kosher for the menorah. If you squeeze it a few times, the oil that will come out is going to come out already with sediments. It's not pure. And that's the meaning. It has to be the purest oil. Why do you need such pure, pure, pure oil? Why the purest of oil? Because you want to create. This is for the Beis HaMikdash. And the Beis HaMikdash, everything has to be the best. So you want to have the highest quality light. Because a very, very clean oil is going to give you a very clean flame. A very calm, clean flame. If there are sediments and pieces in the oil, then the flame that's going to burn is going to be it's going to be restless, and you want the flame to be very clean. So then there's a very and then the question becomes: Why does it say kasis? It should be crushed lamor, which literally means for the luminator. It should have said kasis lamor, kasis laor, it's or kasis lehayir. It should be crushed laor for light. Because the, the benefit of the kasis oil, of the very pure oil, of the shaman zayazach that comes from kasis, is the oil, is the quality of light that comes out. You see the difference between oil and ma'or. Ma'or means the source of what creates the light. And oil, like the sun, is a ma'or. And the light is the oil. Over here, it, you're not bringing pure olive oil so that you should have pure oil. You're bringing pure olive oil. Why should it be so pure? La oil. So it will produce a beautiful light. Kasis la oil. What's the words? Kasis la oil. And the idea over here is that the Pasuk is really coming to teach us 
something very, very, very profound and something so important and so essential for us to be able to function as Jews. And that is the function, this Pasuk is describing to us the role of a leader, the role of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now what is his job as a leader of the Jewish people? Similar to what we had discussed two weeks ago that the Pasuk Eileh HaMishpatim, and these are the laws, is also referring to Moshe Rabbeinu, and they go on the same lines, but there is some more that is being taught to us in this week's parsha. And what it's saying is as follows. Now, the reason why he doesn't say Daber El Bnei Yisrael, speak to the Bnei Yisrael, because this is a particular function of Moshe. We just got the Ten Commandments, we just received the Torah, we just put up a Mishkan, God is coming down to dwell amongst the Jewish people, but you, Moshe Rabbeinu, play a pivotal role. You are very, very important in, in facilitating this union between God and the Jewish people. And what is that? Va'ata titzave as Bnei Yisrael. And you should command, but the word command, according to the mystical, deeper meaning is, and you should bond as B'nai Yisrael. You should unify the Jewish people. With who? With God. It's your job as Moshe Rabbeinu to bridge, to unify, to bring together every single Jew with Hashem. You're supposed to create a tzafsa v'chibur, a attachment. Moshe is supposed to attach every single Jew to Hashem. And here we'll argue and say, what do you mean Moshe has to attach? Don't we have an intrinsic connection to God? Don't we all have an intrinsic connection? We don't need a mediator. One of the sins that the Jews made a golden calf was that they thought they need a mediator. We don't need a mediator. We have, we have direct access to God. One of the things the Rambam tells us that a Jew has to know that we pray, we pray to Hashem, we don't pray to any mediators. So what's this idea that Moshe, and the answer is, however, no, 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 Moshe is not a mediator. Moshe enables you to connect to Hashem, you directly to Hashem, but without Moshe it doesn't work. So on the one hand Moshe is there, but on the other hand Moshe gets out of the way, but he's there. He makes it all happen, but he's not there, but he makes it happen. And without him, it just does it cannot work. There's no tzafsa, there's no real connection between a Jew and God without Moshe Rabbeinu. It needs to be there, Moshe is there. And it's not considered a mediator, and another reason it's not considered a mediator, because Moshe Rabbeinu is our head. And when your feet, um, you'll say, you know, if, 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 you know, if I want to connect my feet to God, and I'm using my head to connect my feet to God because I'm praying through my mouth, that's considered a mediator. That's not a mediator because your mouth is, is one with your legs. So if we're all the legs, as we're soon going to see, and we connect through Moshe, we're not connecting through an entity, through an entity that's not us. We're using our very head, who is Moshe Rabbeinu, the Rosh Bnei Yisrael, Rebbe. Rebbe stands for Rosh Bnei Yisrael, the head of the Jewish people. It's through Moshe Rabbeinu that we make that connection to God. Why is Moshe so pivotal? So first of all, it's just an important idea. Tetzave means to bring together like a mitzvah. Mitzvah means, Tetzave is... What does a tetzavah do? Command a mitzvah. A mitzvah causes a togetherness, a connection. That's what a mitzvah is. A deeper meaning of mitzvah is mitzvah is connection. Why is a mitzvah connection? It means that without the mitzvah there is no connection. And the mitzvah makes the connection. Now why does the mitzvah make the connection? The answer is very simple. The distance that there is between a finite, fickle, tiny, little, small human being and an infinite, true, absolute God is a boundless, infinite distance. There's no... And you need a mitzvah to bridge. It's not only because God is super big and we are super small. It's because we literally don't have any apps. All the worlds and everything that's in it, including all of us, have absolutely zero significance to an infinite being to the point that we don't exist. 
And we only begin to exist when we do a mitzvah. Because when, we do, when we're doing a mitzvah, we pop up in the radar. We now assume an existence. And to give a simple example to that idea, you're having a conference of scientists, in the, in, 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 in the biggest scientists in the medical field, who are having a big convention conference in which they're going to unroll, they're going to present a theory, an idea, something, a new discovery that is going to eliminate, and may Hashem help that it should happen already now, a long time ago, it's long overdue, eliminate cancer from the world. Okay? And it's very exciting. The biggest brains in medicine are coming to this meeting. And this meeting is in Orlando, Florida. Okay? So everybody arrives to this conference. The conference is going to happen today's Tuesday and Wednesday. And they're going to meet in the hotel. From the, from the hotel, they're going to go to the convention place and where they're going to meet. And outside there is a bus picking up the people and taking them there. Now as they're standing waiting for the bus, you have all the kids who are there with the Mickey Mouse ears. And Goofy and Donald Duck. With parents that are all dressed to go to Disneyland. When the scientist is getting onto the bus or waiting for the bus and he's standing, he or she is standing rubbing shoulders with the people that are waiting online to go to Disneyland, the people that are waiting to line to go to Disneyland are literally non-existent in their mind. They're not even, it's not like they're looking down at them of arrogance, they just don't exist. Because you're dealing with something so foolish like Disneyland and we are here to deal with saving the world from cancer so when you're dealing with something so immense and so big, the reality is science. And, and, and they're, they're this reality, it's not a reality. It's not, it's not even an entity. You, you don't exist. But if for whatever reason I miss the bus, and there's someone who's on his way to Disneyland who stops by and picks me up and is going to take me to my conference, so then the fact that you're going to Disneyland and who you are and what you are becomes very real and important. Suddenly you have, you've turned into a somebody because you've taken me from here to there and I needed to go there. And the difference between a scientist and the... Now the scientists themselves, when they'll get a little older and they're going to have grandchildren, are also going to go on their 50th anniversary with their family to Orlando and they're going to go to, the, to, to Disneyland. So the distance between them is not so big, it's a limited distance. Yet, when they're going to the science conference, the people that are, are going on the Disney don't exist. With God, the difference is absolute. And therefore, until we're engaged in a godly activity... Till we're giving God a ride that He can't do without us, which is a mitzvah, which He needs us to do, literally don't exist. So the mitzvah makes us exist. When we do a mitzvah, we become tzafsa the chibor. Now we're attached to God because we can give Him something that He wants, needs, desires. Now, what are we saying now? You should tzavah as b'nei Yisrael. You should connect the Jewish people to God. Now, there's two meanings to the tzavah as b'nei Yisrael. Number one is you should connect them to who? To God. You should cause that bonding connection of Jew to Hashem. Meaning number two, you should connect the Jewish people to them, to each other. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, bring all the Jewish people and make them one. And the two explanations are really interrelated and interconnected. When the Jewish people connect to God in a real way, as we're going to see soon, which is something that only Moshe Rabbeinu can do for them, bring them into a real connection to God, 
then we're connected to each other. Because, in, because when we are in that state of union with Hashem, then all the divisions and separations that separate one Jew from the other based on whatever we can think of, different affiliations, different levels of observance, different, uh, different uh, ethnicities, doesn't make Ashkenaz, Farad, Chassid, non-Chassid, it doesn't make a difference. All the things fade away when you're dealing with coming into connection with God, God's essence. Over there, suddenly we are all one. So the unity between the Bnei Yisrael themselves are dependent in Moshe Rabbeinu because he is the one who unifies them with Hashem and then. And when we say that Moshe unifies us with God, it means with God himself. That means it, this idea that without Moshe we can't have a meaningful connection to Hashem, it means, of course, everybody can have a connection with some level of the divine, but to have a connection to what we call the Or Ein Sof, the infinite one, God as God truly is in the infinite light, that we cannot have a connection unless Moshe Rabbeinu does it for us. You will connect. But we don't understand rationally why that is. Why is the reason that, 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 that Moshe Rabbeinu forges his bond? But let's leave that for a moment and we'll understand why that is in a minute. But let's continue first in the Pasuk. Then the Pasuk says, By you unifying the Jewish people to God, by you attaching the Jewish people to Hashem, then it's going to be a two-way communication. You're going to connect them to Hashem, but then they, the Jewish people, are going to give back to you. They're going to enhance your soul, Moshe, by you giving to them. It's not just a one-way thing. Moshe gives to the Jewish people. Just like we need Moshe and we cannot budge without Moshe, Moshe can't move without us. We need, we're, we're, we're intertwined and interdependent one on each other. And that's the meaning of the next part of the Pasuk. As a result of the Atta Titzaveh, you will bond as B'nai Yisrael, all the B'nai Yisrael to Hashem. What is going to happen as a result of that? They will bring to you. They will take to you. They're going to give you pure olive oil. Pure olive oil means levels of connection to God that you could have never imagined. They're going to give you the oil that you don't have. You're going to get it from them. As a result of you bringing them to their connection, they're going to elevate you to a much deeper union with Hashem. And that is based on the concept that Moshe Rabbeinu says in, in, um, in Pashat Bamidbar, when the Jewish people are complaining that they need to have, that they want meat, and Moshe complains to Hashem, he says, Ma'ayin libasar, where in the world am I going to have meat to feed all these people? Moshe Rabbeinu says these words, he says, Sheish elef raglia um, 600,000 feet of the masses. Asher by that I am amongst them, how am I going to feed them? You're telling me to give them meat? So whatever the meaning of Moshe's argument was is not for today. But those words where he calls the people ragli ha'am, the feet of the people. What does Moshe Rameinu mean? The feet of the people. So the commentators explain feet means men. Okay, very good. But why, why does he use that term? And the answer is what it really means is Moshe Rameinu saying my 600,000 feet. Ragli, they're my people. Meaning they're my legs. They're not just, there's Moshe and there's the people. Sheish meyos Sheish Elef, uh, Sheish Elef Ragli, 600,000 of my legs. Because as we know from the Arizal that the Jewish people and Moshe are really one entity. Written, the Arizal says, says all Neshamas are really one. All souls are one Neshamas. The Neshamas of Adam Arish. The Neshamas of the super mega tzaddikim, they're in the brain, they're the brain of Adam. And then we have the entire rest of the body. And the people, and then the people living right before Mashiach comes are the heels. But in addition to that, in every generation itself, there is the head of the generation who's considered the head of the soul, the brain of the soul, and then there's all the other parts all the way down to the feet. The masses are the feet. 
And Moshe is referring to the Jewish people as my feet. Now if we take a look at the head and leg relationship, one to each other, we find that they're both independent on the other. Feet without a head are literally useless. Because if there's no head, first of all, there's no life without a head. But even if the, hypothetically there could be life, the head guides, directs, and gets the feet to act in a productive manner. If a chicken loses its head by the shechita when they take it off, the chicken's feet may, might still run around a little bit, but it's not in any way, any kind of running around with its leg that is in a conducive, productive way. It's just moving its legs. It's got energy just that's still left over and it's jumping around without any, any direction. So legs without a head is nothing. Without the tzaddik, without the nasi, without that leader who communicates divine consciousness, who is inspired by God and has direction and guidance, and he can pr- tr- transmit that influence, that wisdom, that knowledge to the people, we, the generation, are lost. We don't know where to go, what, where, and when. We're like legs without a head. So of course we need to receive everything from Moshe. He's the head, we're the feet. But on the other hand, the feet, the head also needs the feet. Because a head without legs is also not too, too, too functional. First of all, a head without legs sits on the floor. It's very, very low. When you take the head and you put it on top of a whole body, especially the main height of the human being are the legs. So what really elevates the human, the head, to the, to the high stature where the head belongs, especially Moshe Rabbeinu was 20 feet tall or 10, 10 amas tall, it's his legs. It's the legs of the people that lifted Moshe. But more than that, if the head wants to do something, it needs the legs to take him there, to go there. Moshe Rabbeinu ascended to Har Sinai. The highest moment of Moshe Rabbeinu was going up the Har Sinai. Without his legs, he couldn't go anywhere. He needed his legs to take him up. When a person is a great scholar, you have a great mind, and you need to get a book on the top of the bookshelf. It's a great book that's very, very high. You, you need to climb on a ladder with your legs. The legs bring you there. Moshe Rabbeinu was the head. He can't go anywhere without the legs. So we need him, he needs us. And that's the meaning. You should unify. You should connect the Jewish people to Hashem. And then what's going to happen as a result of that? They're going to bring to you. By the way, that's why Moshe Rabbeinu also says, this is, this is Gvaldik. Moshe Rabbeinu says, The 600,000 legs of the people, that I am amongst him. What does he mean by this term, Asher Anoichi Bekirboi? So here is Gavaldi. We said before that Moshe Rabbeinu was enhanced by the Jewish people. That means spiritually, Kabbalistically, the level of Moshe Rabbeinu is Chachma. Moshe Rabbeinu is wisdom. You know, there are ten divine attributes. The highest of the ten attributes is called Chachma. Moshe Rabbeinu's Neshama is rooted in the level of divine wisdom. In the innermost of Chachma. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. But then... As a result of the Jewish people connect, as, as a result of Moshe Rabbeinu imbuing the Jewish people with vitality, life, and inspiration. And as we're going to see soon what Moshe gives us. As, as a result of Moshe transmitting to us what happens, Moshe Rabbeinu is infused with something much higher than Chachma. And that is Keser, the crown. The crown is infinitely higher than Chachma. And that's the meaning of the word Anochi. We know the Yudke Vavke, the tetragrammat in God's name, represents all the ten Sefirot. The Yud is. Chachma, the Hey is Bina, all the ten spheres. What's above? So the Yud Kevavke is from Chachma and down. What's above Yud Kevavke? So what happened by Matan Torah? What does Hashem say? Anochi Hashem Elokecha, which means that the Anochi precedes Hashem, the Yud Kevavke. The Anochi is higher because the Anochi is the innermost of the Kesser of the Crown. So that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. Sheish Meir Israglia on six hundred thousand feet of the masses. Asher, which through them, Anoichi, the Anoichi, the Keser, the infinite, the essence of God, Bikir Boy, is, is in the midst of Moshe. 
God dwells in Moshe as a result of Moshe channeling to us his divinity, his godly influence. As a result of that, we enhance Moshe as well. There is an, in, there is an intricate bond between the tzaddik and the generation. And, each, and they need each other. They desperately need each other. They're inseparable. They can't be one without the other. So now let's understand, however, what is the contribution of the tzaddik? What is he giving us that without him we cannot have Yiddishkeit? We're not connected to the Abishter properly without, without the tzaddik. Now the tzaddik does it for the entire generation, but of course if one is aware of the tzaddik and tunes into the tzaddik, then that, in, that influence is enhanced um, in a very, very great way, exponentially. And the idea is as follows, and here this is very, very important. Um, we mentioned uh, the other week in Parshas Mishpatim that the function of Moshe Rabbeinu is that he is called the Reya Mehemna. He is the faithful shepherd of Israel. How do we understand what does faithful shepherd mean? So we discussed, remember, we discussed this two weeks ago, but I'm going to repeat a few ideas, but again, we're going to go in a complete different direction today, okay? Reya Mehemna means faithful shepherd. Um, on the simple level, it means that, that Moshe Rabbeinu cared for the Jewish people like a faithful shepherd that is faithful to every single sheep. The Medrash tells us the famous story that when Moshe Rabbeinu was out with the sheep before God chose him, shepherding, uh, taking out his father-in-law Yisrael's sheep, um, one day one of the sheep one of the sheep ran away and ran to, to uh, 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 was, and Moshe was running after it and was running and running and running. It finally came to a shady spot and next to a little brook of water and it was drinking. So Moshe came exhausted, running after it. He has to make sure to bring the whole flock with him. He comes to the to the to the little shepherd and he sees and he starts talking to this pure pure little shepherd of this pure little sh- uh, sheep and he says. I was angry, I was upset at you, I didn't realize that you're just thirsty. All you wanted was a drink, and now you must be so tired. So Moshe Rabbeinu bends down, picks up the sheep after it drank its fill, and Moshe Rabbeinu was walking back holding the sheep. And God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, God says, you know, if you care for the sheep, you take such good keep the sheep, of the sheep of, of, of a man of flesh and blood, if I'm looking to hire someone to be the, the shepherd of my sheep, to God's sheep, I couldn't find a better shepherd than you. And this is the idea that the tzaddik, that the true leader of the Jewish people doesn't give up on, on any Jew. There isn't even one Jew to say that this one is like so bad, forget about him. The real leader of the Jewish people runs after every single year to connect every single Jew to God. Okay? And that's, by the way, the sign of the true leader of the Jewish people. The, the leader who is seeking out every single year to connect that Jew to Hashem. That is the true leader, the ultimate leader of Israel on the levels of Moshe Rabbeinu. Reya Mehemna, the faithful shepherd. But there's a different, another meaning to faithful shepherd. It means not just Reya Mehemna, the, she, the faithful shepherd, but it means the shepherd of faith. That means that he nurtures faith. Reya Mehemna means the one who nurtures faith. Simply, we would understand that to mean that he's nurturing us, he's giving us nutrition. This is the leader of the Jewish people who is nurturing us, he's giving us emuna. He stimulates Amuna. He gets the Jewish people. In other words, you can have a rabbi who inspires people, you know, think of tzedakah, inspires people to keep Shabbos, who inspires and says nice Torah, gives a good shearing Gemara. But then there are the unique leaders of the Jewish people that they are awakening in the Jewish people Amuna. When people hear them speak, they walk away filled with Amuna, with faith. Not only through their speaking, just an encounter with them, and you suddenly are feel your amuna, you feel connected to Hashem. So that's the idea. They 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 give amuna, they feed the flock with the most important ingredient. So we understand something that the amuna is absolutely crucial for Jewish 
observance. For being a Jew, you need a Muna. A Muna is the oil, the engine oil. Without that, the engine doesn't work. It needs oil, and the oil is the Amuna. We must have Amuna. Without that, we don't work. Because what, what, what's our Yiddishkeit without Amuna? What does Amuna mean? Amuna is a strong conviction in the existence of God. If your Yiddishkeit is real, then your Yiddishkeit is about a relationship with God. If not, if it's not, and you can't have a relationship with God unless you have a strong conviction in the reality of God. So you need Amuna. Nothing moves without Amuna. Unless your Yiddishkeit is just a self-help program for yourself to become, you know, through, you, you feel that through doing this mitzvah, you become a good person. And it has nothing to do with, with, with connecting to Hashem or serving God. But that's not Judaism. That's, 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 some of that, that's just an uh, over-obsessed human being who's obsessed with himself. Some people are obsessed with their physical looks. And all day long running and, 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 and doing whatever exercise just that they should look perfect. And some people are obsessed with being perfect human beings. But it's all, it's serving yourself. It's not serving God. It's not Yiddishkeit. Yiddishkeit is vavadetem es Hashem elokechem. You serve God, your relationship with God. But God has to be real to you to serve Him. So Amunah, which is a strong conviction in, the, in, in Hashem, is at the core, this is the nucleus of a Jew's Yiddishkeit, of our Yiddishkeit. And since Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who shepherds us, nurtures the faith in the Jewish people, we can understand that Moshe Rabbeinu is crucial to our Yiddishkeit. But let's get a little better, if a little deeper. If it means nurturing Amuna means that he is giving us more faith, but the question is, we have faith already. We don't have to receive faith from Moshe Rabbeinu. We know that where is our Amuna coming from? Our Amuna comes from our Nisham. As we say that the Jewish people are maminim b'nei maminim, even before Moshe encountered them. How do we know that? Because when Moshe Rabbeinu told God, v'hein lo yamin, when the first time Hashem speaks to Moshe, he says to Hashem, v'hein lo yamin li, they won't believe me. So Hashem says, you're speaking against my children, don't you know? They are maminim b'nei maminim, they are believers, the sons of believers. That means, what does he say, they're the sons of, they're born from their mother's womb, as they come out, they have the amun already, it's in their kishkis, it's in their blood, it's in their DNA. And Amunah is part of them. Of course they have Amunah. So what are we saying? Moshe has to give us Amunah? We have Amunah. And the answer is, as we spoke two weeks ago, Amunah can be very, very distant removed. A Jew can have Amunah, strong faith, belief in God, but it could be very, very distant removed and not having an impact on our life. The Amunah by its definition, we'll speak about it soon, why it is that way, hovers above it, 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 it's, you can be, you, you believe in Hashem, but it does not have an impact on your day-to-day decisions. And as we spoke about last week, the classical, two weeks ago, the classical example of that is the thief who's holding a middle perpetrating a thievery as he's breaking into a house. And while he's in the midst of doing that break-in, he prays to God to help him, which means he is very, very, very much expressing Amuna because he believes that God is omnipotent in charge over the whole creation, in charge of everything. And yet, he's acting totally contrary to what he believes because God definitely doesn't approve that he should break into a house right now. And as we spoke last time, I'll just give another example that we can identify. This is not just an extreme Ganev who's doing that. We think, okay, that's not, you know, that's a Ganev, but I'm not a Ganev. But we could identify with this thief. Sometimes we pray to God, for instance, for success in business. And then the very business dealings that we do, we daven Tashem for success in business, but Shimon Esra, we close our eyes, we're shuckling a lot, saying Baruch Aleinu, when we really believe that our success is coming from Hashem. Uvarech, Shinaseinu, bless the year, Mamesh Hashem, give Parnasa. And then when we go to work, we're doing businesses, certain things that are not so exactly clean, they're a little shady. 
Why? Because we think it's an opportunity to make money and whatever. Even though we know it's not the cleanest business. And that's a total contradiction to your amuna. Because if you believe that God is the one giving you your, your, your parnasa, God doesn't have any other way to give you your parnasa only by doing something that God doesn't approve of. It's ridiculous. It's insane. Yet, it doesn't mean, as we spoke the other week, it does not mean that the amuna is invalid. It doesn't mean that you're not a believer. It doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. It is hypocritical, but it doesn't mean your amuna is fake. The Amuna is real, but so is the nature of Amuna. Amuna, by its very definition, rises above us. It impacts us, but it doesn't, it's not internalized. It doesn't become who we are. It remains above us, and therefore it doesn't influence our, our day-to-day behavior and our activities. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu has to do. What the, what the leader of the Jewish people who's in charge, the true leader of the Jewish people, of nurturing faith, the Reya Mehemna of the Jewish people is that he takes the Amuna and makes it real. Makes the Amuna something that you really feel in your kishkis. You really feel it as the reality of your life. God is the reality of your life. And therefore, everything I do has to be consistent, has to fit with what Hashem wants, with the way Hashem wants me to live. So that internalizing the Amuna, internalizing the Amuna, that comes to us from Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the meaning of, of, of nurturing Amuna. He br- and why is it called nurturing Amuna? It's called nurturing Amuna because he brings the Amuna down in a manner that it nurtures the person. It becomes, and you internalize, just like food. What happens to food? Food is something you internalize. You take the food, you eat it, and it goes into your bloodstream, it becomes, enters, the calories go into you, you absorb the calcium, it goes into your bones. So the amuna should become calcium that's absorbed in your bones, and it becomes a different human being. You live your life day to day differently because of the amuna. That is called reya mehemna, bringing the, the, the nutrition or, 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 or nurturing the amuna. In other words, making the amuna nutritious to the person. But that cannot be all that it is. Two weeks ago we called that bringing the amuna into a state of das. That the amuna should not pervade us, just, it shouldn't just encircle us from the outside, but it should pervade us from the inside. But that cannot be considered only the meaning of nurturing amuna. Because if you take a look, the Zohar's term is very, very precise. Reya Mehemna, which is by the way not only in Zohar, it's also in Medrash also. The faithful shepherd, if you're going to translate it as the shepherd of faith, means that he nurtures the Amuna. According to this, he's not nurturing the Amuna, he's nurturing the person with Amuna. Because we all have Amuna. The problem is that the Amuna that we have from birth is fleeting, it's lofty, it's aloof, it's above us. So what does he do? He takes the amuna and he feeds it into your brain, into your heart, so that it becomes part of your everyday reality. Right? So then it should be considered, he's feeding you with amuna. Similar to what the Pasuk says, Ure'ei amuna. And graze or shepherd yourself, nurture yourself with amuna. But that's not what it says. Re'a mehemna means he nurtures the amuna. But according to this, he's not making the amuna stronger. He's making your relationship with your amuna stronger. But everything in Torah is so precise. Re'a mehemna means he nurtures the amuna itself. So what is the meaning? How does Moshe Rabbeinu nurture the amuna? What is the meaning for that? 
So for that, we need to get a better understanding why Amuna on its own remains aloof and distant, and how it is, what does Moshe Rabbeinu do to bring that Amuna down and make it and internalize it? So we need to know what's the secret. What is Moshe Rabbeinu's effect? So first we need to get a little deeper in understanding of why Amuna is fleeting. So we need to dissect Amuna, get a little better understanding. What is Amuna? Amuna is a strong conviction in the existence of God. Where does our Amuna come from? Obviously we understand that our Amuna is an Ashama thing. It's a soul thing. Amuna is not logic. It's not our logical, convinced ourselves intellectually, because that's logic. Amuna is not a logic thing. Faith is something I believe, I can't explain it. I just, I just know it's a, it's a very, it's a, I think the best definition would be a very strong certainty and conviction in something that you cannot explain rationally. But you're just convinced this is what it is. And you're sure about it. That's Amunah. Where is it coming from? Where is that certainty coming from? What's the cause of it? So we understand that it's a nafshiyastig thing. It's a soul thing. This subject is something that you cannot study without Hasidis, without Kabbalah and Hasidis. Because this is not something that has to do with the tangible reality that we can see, touch, smell. This has something to do with the soul, the invisible soul, with the abstract world of the soul. For that we need to look into what Hasidis tells us. What the inner light of the Torah tells us about the world of the soul. So now, Amunah comes from our Neshama and we're born with it. Now, but more particularly, where in the Neshama does the Amunah come from? So we know as follows. It's not from the... We have two parts in our Neshama. There's a part in our Neshama that is imbued in our body. And then there's a part of the Neshama that hovers above our body. There's a imminent part of the soul, and then there is a transcendental part of the soul. An internalized part of our neshama, and an encompassing or surrounding part of our neshama, called the makif of the neshama. What does that mean? When our neshama, which is a piece of God, which is utterly divine, descends into the body, the neshama has to go through a drastic diminishment. The soul has to be diminished, because if the neshama was to come down into the body with all of its power and all of its light, infuse the body as it is, the body literally would blow a fuse. The body could not withstand the light of the soul. First of all, if either the body would just, just the brain would be blown to pieces, couldn't in, in experience the intensity of the soul, and, or one thing for sure, God, there would be such brightness, such powerful godly consciousness in our, in our being, that we wouldn't have any Bechira Chavshas. We would not have any free choice. It would be impossible for us to sin. So the only way, Hashem, um, what's it called again? The only way there can be Bechira Chavshas is because our soul does not come into our body in its full glory and its full power, but she dramatically uh, reduces herself. And only a very tail end of the neshama comes into the body. It's called the nefesh ruach neshama. It's the very end of the neshama that goes into the body, the naran, the internal power of the soul. Um, you know, imagine, you know, if you were, if you merited to open up the door Friday, um, Pesach by night, when we open the door for Shloich HaMasa, and see Elio and Avi, literally, standing there. And this face is radiating with light. And you're standing there in front of Elijah the prophet. And you're looking at his light. Would you be able to sin at least for the next few hours? Definitely not. I just saw the Oanavi. 
that would make such an impact. Just the brightness, the radiant face, just that kedusha, would put us into a different place for quite a while. But hear this. It says in Rabchaim Vital, the Arizal, that the revelation of your own neshama that doesn't come into your body is much higher than the revelation of Eliyahu Hanavi. Because Eliyahu Hanavi's revelation is coming from Eliyahu as he is an angel or as he is in a body somewhat. But your own neshama, if you were to experience your naked soul, meaning your soul as it's not in the body, not enclosed in the, up there, in the neshama that's higher than the body, it's deeper, more powerful than the revelation of Eliyahu Hanavi. So obviously we understand that after that, you come into contact with such brightness, with such light, you couldn't possibly, um, possibly sin. So that remains not inside our body. The consciousness of our body, of our soul, is human consciousness. It's not, and there's no amuna there. That's not, so the little part of the neshama that goes into the body is not where, the neshama, where amuna comes from. Because that part of the soul that's in the body is blocked. And, and it, it doesn't see Hashem, it sees the world. It becomes our human consciousness. Now, it's geared naturally, it has a tendency to always get excited about, it's seeking. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a, you know, you turn your Wi-Fi um, button on, on your phone, and you have this, wi- it's draining battery, because it's looking for a Wi-Fi signal. So the part of your neshama that's in your body senses something, it's sniffing, it's looking all day, beep, 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 it's looking to detect, but it cannot experience the divine directly because God is hidden from it. It's part, it enters into the creation, it sees the creation as real, as concrete, as absolute. The Abishter is distant, it's a, it's a concept that's far. The part of, however, of your own neshama that's above your body. Now when we say above the body, I want to explain something. It doesn't mean above, you know, circling around. Not what we're talking about. Above meaning it's inside of you. It just means that it's not part of your consciousness. It's your subconsciousness. The higher part of your neshama is in your subconscious, not in your consciousness. That part of your neshama, that, domen- that dim- dim- dimension of your soul, that level of your neshama, sees Hashem. It sees the divine. It's not blocked by creation. It sees Hashem. It's a heavenly being. It never descended to earth. It's living in heaven. In heaven, God is revealed. Hashemayim is sapring kavod kale in heaven. I don't mean sky. I mean heaven, heaven. Hashem is revealed. The neshama is privy to see God. It sees God. And because the neshama sees Hashem, that part of the neshama doesn't need amunah. Because when you see God, you don't need amunah. You don't have to believe in Him if you see Him. Believing isn't only in something that you don't see. Say, I believe that there, I have absolute faith. I know because I have such a strong conviction that there's a cup of water. I see it. I don't need to believe in it. Faith is in something that I can't see. So now we're, now we're in trouble. The part of the neshama that's in the body doesn't have a muna. The part of the neshama, meaning it doesn't, when I say it doesn't have a muna, meaning it, it, that's not where the muna comes from. Can't produce a muna. The part of the neshama that's outside of the body sees God doesn't need a muna. So what exactly is the amuna? The amuna is a communication that's being communicated from the subconscious into the conscious. Isn't that great? What's your amuna? Your amuna is the subconscious soul that sees God communicating to, the, your, to your human self, to your conscious self, that there is this reality that I see, that I'm letting you, and it's, 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 it's communicating that in a very, very subtle way. Because the two elements of soul are not each one existing in total separation. The part of the neshama that's above the body is called the mazel of your neshama. Our mazel. 
it's called, it's interesting, the, Talmud, the Gemara tells us an interesting thing that it says in, in the Navi, that Daniel had, was sitting once with his friends. We mentioned this quite a few times in a class. Daniel was once sitting with his friends and, they had, and Daniel had a vision. And his friends were no little people. His friends were the three later prophets called Malachi, uh, Chagi, Malachi, Zachariah, I'm not sure. Chagi, Malachi, and one more. These were his three friends of, of Daniel. Daniel had a vision. And it says that, that his friends suddenly started trembling. And the Pasik says that I, Daniel says, I saw they didn't see, my friends didn't see. They didn't have the vision. So the Gemara says, but if they didn't have a vision, why do they tremble? So the Gemara says, Afagav the even though they didn't see him, their mazels saw. What does that mean? That the part their conscious selves didn't see it, but subconsciously or in the superconscious, they too felt and saw the revelation. And it caused powerful vibrations in their subconscious. And when your subconscious is shaking and quaking, what will that obviously do? It will unnerve you. And that's why, so we realize that there is communication between the part of our neshama that's higher than the body to the part of the neshama that's in the body. They communicate with each other. Like for instance, the Balshem says, why a person suddenly is inspired and he doesn't know why he was inspired. Suddenly you get this like sense, I have to do tshuva, I have to get there. You know, something overtakes a person and they don't have some logical explanation. Who inspired me? What happened? I suddenly felt, feel something. So the Baal Shem Tov says, because in heaven they keep on making announcements that the Jewish people should do tshuva. And you just walked by a Wi-Fi place, your subconscious neshama picked up on that on that inspiration, and it's sending you tremors. Now consciously, you're not, you don't know what it is, but you're feeling something. Or a sudden burst of creativity sometimes, where you don't know where it came from too. It's coming from the mazel of your neshama. The reason why it's called the mazel, is comes the word nozel. It's dripping. It's like a person having a drip, an IV drip. So imagine this part of the neshama, drip, 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 drip. And what it's dripping is, it's constantly dripping emuna into our consciousness, from our subconscious. And that's why we don't know, but since we see, so we're so certain, and we have the conviction of that, that we see that God is. And I know for sure, I don't know how, what, where, or when, but I know that's the way it is. That's the mazel of the neshama communicating, and that's where emuna comes from. Now we'll understand why the nature of Amuna is that it's always going to run away. It's not going to impact you on your daily decisions. It's not a question whether you believe in God. You believe in God. But since the Amuna comes from the part of your neshama that's transcending, that can't go into a body, that rises outside of limitation, that's above. So even when it drips in and it makes splash, it drips in a drop. What happens to that splash immediately? It vaporizes and arises. Like heat rises, it too is always escaping. It's going into the intangible, it's running away into, into, the, into the abstract. It comes down, it gives you a little flash of the abstract, but it runs back into the abstract. It runs away. That's its nature because it's coming from the part of you that can, can't go in the body. And precisely because it can't go in the body, that's why it's so godly. Because if it goes, if it would go into the body, that means it would be it would, it would be influenced by the body. It would be, get darkened. So it has to remain in its transcendental heavenly state. That's why Amuna is always running away from us, and that's why we can be strong believers and yet at the same time act contradictory to our Amuna. And here is where Moshe Rabbeinu comes. 
This is what Moshe Rabbeinu's influence is. What does Moshe Rabbeinu do? Moshe Rabbeinu is going to make that that influence of Amunah should be permanent and lasting and internalized. Why? How does Moshe do that? Now here is something extremely very powerful and very profound. And that is that the Amunah that's coming from our transcendental part of our soul is not the deepest aspect of our Amunah. We have a much deeper Amunah even deeper than the part of our neshama that's higher than our body. And that is, even higher than the transcendental part of our soul is something called the essence of our soul. And the essence of the soul is higher than the transcendental energy of your soul. And and you might be familiar with the concept that we have five levels to our neshama. Nefesh, ruach, neshama go into the body. That's what we said before, the intellect, the emotions... These are the human side of our, as the, as the soul interacts with our humanity, with our human side. Then we have this emuna element, this power of our neshama, the subconscious of the soul, hovering above. That's called chai. Chai means the power of our neshama that's makif, it's encompassing. But then there's something deeper called yechida. What's yechida? Yechida is the essence of your soul. It's what we call many times the pintalayir. This is the this is the nucleus of the soul itself. Now, obviously, the yechida. So, how do you define the yechida different than the chai? Chai is a illumination of the soul. It's an expression of the soul. It's it's a uncontrolled expression. It's a non diminished expression of soul, but it's an expression of soul. See. Then there is essence. So really we, took, we speak about three levels. There is essence, there is expression, and in expression there's two levels of expression. There is an un, unlimited expression, the soul's light as it is, and then there is a contracted expression. That's the part of the soul that comes into the body. So when we spoke earlier and we say amuna comes from our makif, encompassing subconsciousness. That's from the higher expression of our soul, from our mazel. It's dripping into the lower expression of our soul, the one that goes into the body. But there's something deeper, and that is our essence of our neshama. The essence of the soul is higher and deeper than our, than our, than our expression. And by its very definition, is very private because it's essence. Essence doesn't express itself. It just is. Now, emuna comes from that level of our soul as well. But much deeper emuna. We said before, why do we know, what's, where does our conviction that God is come from? We said it's a soul thing. Which part of our soul? The part of our neshama that's not limited by our body. It's not, it's not blocked by our body. It sees God. Now we know that the strongest conviction in something is through seeing. You cannot have be convinced in the reality of something like in any way uh, compared to seeing. When you hear about something or you prove something, it's never as convincing as when you see something with your own eyes. So seeing is, people say seeing is believing, meaning seeing is the strongest convincing element in which something is, is we, we know for certain something is, because I saw it by people, you're telling me? I saw it with my own eyes. But there's something deeper than seeing. And that is when you're not seeing something. Because when you see something, seeing means you're becoming aware of something that's not you, you're seeing it. You need to see it to know that it exists. 
The reason why the essence of the soul knows God with absolute knowing is because the soul and Hashem on the level of essence are one. So the soul doesn't have to see God to know that God is. It is one with Hashem. That's who it is. It, it is. Hashem and the Neshama are one. So there's not even a question. Does God exist? If God doesn't exist, I don't exist. And it's not like we, we also know that. Who? If someone, God forbid, would eliminate God, then everything would be eliminated. The Ramam says that. That what? That without God's existence, nothing can exist. But that's an intellectual calculation. If he is the cause, and this is the effect, remove the cause, and there's no effect, fine, it's intellectual. We're not dealing with intellectual. We're dealing with an innate, intrinsic reality that removing that, and there's no existence, not even, you, know, you don't understand it, you just know it. The essence of the soul is one with God. It no, so Hashem is absolute real. This is the deepest amuna. Amuna, as it is related to the Yechidah Shev and is because it's real, because the soul is real. Because the Shem is one with Hashem. Now here is the thing. When we say before that Moshe Rabbeinu nurtures the faith, you know what that means? It means that Moshe Rabbeinu deepens our amuna. He brings us into contact with the essence of our soul. So he enriches the faith. Because there's two levels of faith. There's external faith that I know Hashem because my neshama sees God. And there's internal faith that I know God because Hashem and me are one. It's coming from the, from the deeper, inner, innermost essence, essential part of the soul. Now what's the difference of these two amunas as they will influence the person? Obviously the conviction is on a whole different level. As much as you're convinced in the existence of something, even when you see it, it doesn't come close to the conviction that you have that you yourself exist. I don't, you don't have to see yourself to know that you exist. You don't have to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, make sure that, this, that you know, you might as well, you want to really check before you start your day to know that you really are. You know, it's not worth to go through all the stress and everything if you don't even exist. So you want to really look at yourself. You don't need to do that because you, because you are. I have to look to see myself to know that I am. So we understand that the conviction on the level of, of essence is much deeper than when you see. But it's not only the conviction, it's the way it influences it. What did we say before? Why does the Amuna run away? Why does it constantly... We know it, but yet it doesn't influence in day to day. Why does it remain makif and not influence our daily decisions? So earlier we said, because since it's coming from the transcendental part of our soul, so it seeks always to run back into transcendence. It goes back into... into. If your amuna, however, is coming from your essence of your soul, not from the transcendent part of your soul, the essence of the soul is very private, very private. And you can't access it without Moshe Rabbeinu putting you in touch with your essence. We'll speak about that in a minute. It's very, very private. You can really, the truth is, you can go through your entire life as a Jew... And never ever sense your truest essence of who your neshama really is and its bond with God. You can be oblivious to your essence. Because essence is by definition, non, it doesn't express itself. It remains hidden. The only one, and that's Moshe Rabbeinu, the only one who can put you in touch with your essence is only the, 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 the nasi, the true quintessential soul of the Jewish people. He can feed us and connect us to our own essence. And that's the idea of a real tzaddik. The real tzaddik is not when we say he... He nurtures you with Amuna. What does it really mean? Is when you're looking, when you stand in front of the true tzaddik and you look into his eyes, you're not looking into his eyes, you're looking into the deepest recesses of your own neshama, 
of your own soul. He puts you in touch with your deepest quintessence of your neshama. And that amuna. Now what's the quality of that amuna? The amuna that comes from essence, since the essence is the essence of both illuminations, the illumination that's above the body and the illumination that's in the body. Because we said before there's two expressions of the soul. One of them is big, powerful, and the other one is contracted. And they remain in two different zones. They only communicate through a drip, 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 but they're in two different zones. One is subconscious and one is conscious. But essence is the essence of both because this is one type of illumination, this is another illumination, but you can't have an illumination without a source. What's the source? The source is the essence. Since the essence is the, illumin- is the source of both your transcendental part of your soul and the part of your neshama in your body, so if your amuna is emanating from your essence, guess what? It imbues, it, aff- it affects you in your consciousness, not only in your subconscious. It fully, it fully blasts through your consciousness as well. And you live with the Abishter and Hashem being real and that it influences our actions. And for that, however, you need Moshe Rabbeinu. Without the tzaddik of Moshe Rabbeinu, you cannot get in touch with the essence of your nishan. Because it's not, it's not possible. It's, it's only through Moshe. Now we'll understand Moshe's v'atat tzav is b'nei Yisrael. You should connect the Jewish people. But, you come, oh, but here's, here's the thing. Um, the Pasuk says that this idea that Moshe Rabbeinu's essence is communicated to the that Moshe Rabbeinu invigorates and empowers and enriches our Ramuna and Reya Mehemna, we said earlier, he elevates the Amuna, he nurtures the Amuna that the Amuna should not just be from the external part of your soul. He feeds your Amuna with essence, with essential juice. He connects your Amuna to its to its very root from where the Amuna is coming from. This idea is not only Moshe. It's Moshe Rabbeinu as Moshe Rabbeinu illuminates through tzaddikim in every generation. The Zohar says that it's Pashtusa de Moshe, that there is an expansion of Moshe, Bechol Dara Vedara in every generation. And therefore, in, throughout Jewish history, we've seen tzaddikim that had huge impact on the Jewish people and on their faith. Particularly, when Moshe Rabbeinu plays the most pivotal and important role in Jewish history, is when there comes a serious crisis to Jewish continuity and Jewish and Jewish observance, and that is, you know, in our blood-soaked and tear-drenched history, we had so many challenges, both to our material well-being, our physical well-being, and our spiritual well-being. Persecution after persecution, seduction after seduction, non-stop. It's an unbelievable. The biggest miracle in creation, the biggest miracle in the world is our very survival as we are intact as a Jewish people. Now, how did, it, how did we go about and survive? It was through Messiris Nefesh. The Jewish people had, were ready to die for what they believe in. Who inspired Messiris Nefesh? So here's a very interesting idea. As we say Moshe Rabbeinu puts us, to, puts us in touch with our essence, he nurtures our Ramuna by putting us in touch in our essence. And when we come in touch with our essence, our Ramuna becomes real and tangible and influential in all aspects of life. Another, another facet of that very contribution of Moshe Rabbeinu 
is to bring the Jewish people, their amuna should have influence on them to be willing to go on Mesiris Nefesh. See, Mesiris Nefesh has been a trademark of the Jewish people. The Jewish people have gone, have displayed martyrdom throughout history again and again and again. Jews during the time of the Crusaders allowed themselves by the hundreds, by the thousands, to be put to death, men, women, and children. And so it was in the Spanish Inquisition, and so it was throughout history all the time. Tremendous, unbelievable Mesiris Nefesh. What's Mesiris Nefesh? Mesiris Nefesh is that I cannot deny God. I cannot deny God. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? And it's not, and we spoke about this many times. Mesiris Nefesh did not come only from the great scholars, the great thinkers. Quite in the contrary, it was the simple people that were going quicker on Mesiris Nefesh than the thinkers. Mesiris Nefesh is definitely an indication of the powerful amuna that a Jew has. Amuna drives him because he believes in God. I mean, you wouldn't give your life up for something that you're not absolutely certain exists. You even have a shadow of a doubt of a doubt, you wouldn't give your life up for it. But more than that, Mesiris Nefesh would not come from the, from the more external amuna that would not bring us to, to, to give our lives up. It's only when your amuna is emanating from your essence. If you're in touch with the, not the subconscious, but the sub-subconscious, only when you're in touch with the super nucleus of your soul will you give your life up. Very simple why. If I am me, and God is God, and I am convinced that God is because I see Him, not that doesn't say for sure that I'm going to be willing to, to end my existence for Him. I am me, God is God. And we, as long as we two can get along with each other, very nice. But if by, by choosing God, it means an elimination of me, either yeah or no. I might choose yeah, I can choose no, but not necessarily. This that Jews gave their lives up without a question. There wasn't even a debate. It's because their amuna was shining not from their seeing God, but from God is them and they are Hashem and therefore if you want me to deny God, you're denying me. You're destroying me on a cellular level. Otherwise you can do two things to me. You can either chas v'shalom chop, you can, you know, chop my head off or throw me into a fire. So you're going to destroy me on one level or you can eliminate me from existence because if you want me to deny God, I'm denying, I'm denying everything of me. I cannot do that. This is contradictory to my very being. I cannot do it. So Mesiris Nefesh comes from the deeper Emuna. That's why Mesiris Nefesh and the Jewish people was influenced through Big Tzaddikim. There was usually a leader of the Jewish people, like for example, Matis Yahu, in the days of Hanukkah, who influenced the Jewish people to go on Mesiris Nefesh. But Matis Yahu on Hanukkah only influenced a certain group of people. It wasn't everybody. There was one time when the Jewish people, as a people, as an entire community of Israel, Jewish people stood with willingness to die Al-Kiddush Hashem. And that was the days of Purim. That was during Mordechai HaTzavik. Because then there was a decree, Lahashmed Laharik, to, to eliminate, to destroy, to kill, to murder, every single Jew. Minar Vadzaki. The Jewish people had a choice. Even though it doesn't say anywhere in the Megillah they were given the choice. But why did Haman have such rage against the Jewish people? Because Mordechai didn't bow down to him. And the Gezerah, the decree was Allah Yehudim on the Jewish people. What does Yehudi mean? Yehudi means someone who acknowledges God. The word Yehudi comes from the word Modeh. The one who believes in God is called the Yehudi, the Mitzin God. Haman has made a decree Allah Yehudim. So if the Jewish people would have abandoned their belief in one God, and they would have been willing to take on the pagan way of life, 
and to believe in the gods of Haman and Ahasuerus, the Persian, then they would have been spared because they're not Yehudim anymore. And they had an entire year to think about it. And as we spoke in many classes, there wasn't even one Jew that abandoned ship. There wasn't even one Jew who said, you know what, I... And the Jews weren't even religious at that time. So many of them weren't religious. They were intermarrying, they were so far. But suddenly, when they came to a choice, when they were dang, when they came to the choice of snipping, when Haman came and, and they said, you know, you can either accept my, or else I'll snip you off from Hashem, I'll cut the cord. And then every single Jew, no matter what their affiliation was, no matter which shul they in, conservative, reform, they didn't make a difference. It totally didn't make a difference. At this moment, the truth of the neshama came out and they said they cannot do it. And they were willing to die. But the Mesiris Nefesh was even more than that. Not only were they willing to die not to become non-Jews, but it says how Mordechai at Tzadik brought the Jewish people, brought the children into shul, and they davened, and they learned, and they were publicly displaying their Judaism. Which was very dangerous. It's one thing to give your life, you know, not to bow down to a cross. It's another thing that when your life is in danger... You imagine, like, you see, even though the decree was not to be till the 13th of Adar, once the death sentence was already handed down, especially in a nation where there were no Jew lovers, what do you think was going on at night if you walked at night? There were bandits over there that couldn't wait, the mob, to fall upon every Jew, to do it earlier. Why not to kill a Jew or two before, you know, just to, just to whet their appetite? So it was similar, God forbid, you imagine, Jews in France are scared. Jews in other places, like, and, and, and because of, you know, the, the, the anti-Semitism in the world... Multiply that a million times. The fear that there was to the Jewish people during that time. They were sold. The king gave his approval to kill these people. They know, and you don't like them, so good. Lynch them, mom. They, they, yet, the Jews, and the worst thing to do is to gather in shul and to make an open display of davening and learning Torah, the things that are mending them. And they did it. Children did it. Powerful, unbelievable, Messiris Nefesh. Haman came and he said he was, he was, he was, he was, he was so enraged. Because he, he, he saw the little children learning with Mordechai. And he said, you I'm going to kill first. And he actually had chains put, up, put on them. So who inspired their, their Messiris Nefesh? So the Medrash says that Mordechai in his generation is like Moshe in his generation. Because by Mordechai it says, Ish Yehudi, a man Yehudi. And by Mordechai it says, Va Ish Moshe, the man. By Moshe it says, Va Ish Moshe, the man Moshe. So we make a parallel, Ish Ish. Mordechai and, 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 and Moshe are the same. So even though there are many tzaddikim, but Mordechai is singled out to be Moshe Rabbeinu in his generation. He's the one who nurtures the faith. He evoked in the Jewish people this amuna coming from their essence, where their connection to God is non-negotiable. It's, it's, it's unseverable. It's absolute. We cannot disconnect. This is the way it is. This was, this was Mordechai. So what do you see from here? There's two expressions of the essence of soul. Either when we internalize emuna, when our emuna becomes internalized, that's one expression of the essence, because only when it's coming from the essence can it be internalized and influence on, on day-to-day decisions. Or, as we spoke earlier, when, God forbid, there's a threat to our continuation as a Jew, and a Jew is willing to give his all, even his life, is an indication of the emuna coming from their essence, which comes from the, from the tzaddik. Which, by the way, interesting, that display of Mesiris Nefesh that comes to the Jewish people at the time of, of Mesiris Nefesh is actually a deep, is, indicates a greater influence of Moshe Rabbeinu, even more than Moshe Rabbeinu in his generation. In other words, the later day Moshe's, 
sometimes evoke deeper, deeper expression of the essence of soul, nurturing the faith even more than Moshe Rabbeinu. Of course, that's because they're the embodiment of Moshe in that particular time. But yet it's come. And that's the meaning of kasis lamar. Kasis lamar means crushed for lighting. But it doesn't say for lighting, for the, source, for the source of light. You see, when Jewish people go through hardships, Jews have gone through something that the hardships of exile do to us. Something that when there is a force that's trying to crush the Jew and take him away from Hashem, suddenly the deepest soul of the Jew, the most beautiful element of the neshama comes out. That's why you see it through the generations that even sinners, thieves, all kinds of other sinners, when it came a time of hardship and a time of threat to the very existence, they became martyrs. They went on Messiris Nafesh. The Medrash says, just like an olive, an olive, when you crush it, it gives out its oil, it gives out its best. So too, sadly, when you crush a person in their life, when it, sometimes the best of the oil comes out, kasis. And that's the meaning of kasis lamo'er, that the crushing of the Jewish people, both physically and spiritually, brought out not oil the light, it brings out more the source of light. What's the source of light? Source of light. That's the essence of the soul. But who, is, who needs to be there to facilitate all of this? Moshe Rabbein. It's only when there is a Moshe who is a Reyo Mehemna, like in the days of Mordechai, that he can influence this on every single person in the generation. Because this, the root, the connection to the essence comes from Moshe. Now we don't have time now to uh, really conclude what I wanted to speak about tonight. There's much more. So I'm going to cut it pretty much short. Uh, um, it would have been good if we could have had another 20 minutes. Because there's really one more level of revelation of the essence of the soul, which is related to our generation. It's right before Mashiach comes. And that is that, and I'm just going to say it in one sentence, and, you can, and then I'll say where you can study this and learn more about it. And that is when you're living in a time when there is no threats to your Jewish, to your life as a Jew. You have everything comfortable like the Jews are living in the last, after, since after the Second World War. We've had a generally um, time of comfort and Hashem should bless the Jewish people only with Racham. We've had, and you don't have anymore the crushing Gezeris that were in, the, in Russia with communism, and then the Holocaust and all of that. And we're living kind of a life where we have... Baruch Hashem developed both physically and spiritually. So many classes, yeshivas, kosher food galore. Uh, you can select which yeshir. You, you want to learn Torah, you can have a billion classes at your fingertips. Whatever type of learning you want. There's so much spiritual goodness and physical... I mean, everybody has problems, but in general. So the, the nature of people are that when they, have, when they go through something difficult, then they wait for Mashiach. God forbid a person goes to the doctor and they're waiting to hear and they're scared they wait for Mashiach one's relationship comes crumbling on them they wait for Mashiach someone is going through another difficulty in their life a lack of parnasa they send them a letter for closure in their house they're crying for Mashiach if only Mashiach would come tomorrow I wouldn't have to deal with all of this so we're all, we wait for Mashiach at these moments but for a people to be able to cry about Mashiach when everything is good in your life but yet you have no solace and you have no, you cannot rest for a moment, and it bothers you at the depth of your, of your being, that Mashiach isn't here because it bothers you that God is not revealed in this world, that is only coming from the few, of your essence of your soul, even deeper than Messiris Nefesh, which we don't have time to discuss right now, 
which is coming from Moshe Rabbeinu as he manifests in the last generation right before Mashiach comes. The ability for the Jewish people to cry relentlessly for Mashiach to come without any external reason to do so but for the fact that your soul cannot bear the truth of God not being revealed in this world. That's, that means kusis. That's the deepest kusis. You're crushed not because of a physical crushing but because of a spiritual darkness of exile. That's mo'er on the deepest, most innermost level of the neshama. If you want to further discuss this, there was the last discourse that the Lubavitcher Rebbe gave, gave out to the Hasidim before he had Rahman al-Islam's stroke. Um, a week before, he gave this discourse and everything that we discussed about tonight. And he gave it to all the, to all the Hasidim to learn and to study. It's called Va'ata Tetzaveh. And it's, they have it in English called, they have the book in front of me called Nurturing Faith. What I did tonight was a brief synopsis of this work about the influence of Moshe Rabbeinu on the people of the generation and how much we need the tzaddik to keep our souls intact and unified ultimately with Mashiach Tzadkenu for the coming of Mashiach. May we merit uh, that we shouldn't need chas v'shalem any negative kusses. We're already enough kusses from the exile itself and we should have the ultimate mo'or the revelation of Mashiach Tzadkenu may it be may it be reve- may it be revealed now <laughs> Rebbe, 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 Rebb